Hello, everyone. I am Jay, better known as Take. I am joined by my friend, John Henderson, and that must mean it's time for another episode of the Whiskey Readers podcast. Tonight, we're talking about the uh, proverbial Super Bowl of the whiskey industry. This is a big holiday one. We've got four awesome bottles that we're looking forward to kind of going over. Uh, There's some of our favorites. We're talking St. Patrick's Day, of course, and we've got some listener questions. So let's go ahead, dive on in. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. I'm excited about this. We have really cool stuff to taste. A lot of fun things to talk about. A new season, sort of, as uh, the calendar rolls. And like you said, we've got a a question from the audience that we wanted to bring up here, too. And I think we'll have a little bit of fun with this. So I'm ready to dive in. I'm already diving in. You saw that. I was drinking Jameson in the green room. So Yes, you were. This is the one episode a year that I feel like you can get a pass on that. And I will will even give it to you, being not a big fan of Jameson myself. But, I mean, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. This is the Super Bowl of whiskey for a very particular type of whiskey. This is Irish whiskey, of course. We have St. Patrick's coming up. I know I've got some of my own traditions. You've you've got some of your own as well. And we definitely share one And that I know that I'll be booting up The Departed on Friday night. But I'm curious to hear what you're planning to drink, what you've got poured out besides that Jameson from the green room. Uh, what's what's on your uh, on your whiskey list for, for the big holiday? Yeah, so the Jameson is just a little bit of a warm-up, uh, if you could call it that. You know, it's just, it's not it necessarily, yeah, it'll warm you up a little bit. It's not necessarily a tradition, but I mean, growing up in New England, this is kind of like, it's either Jack and Coke or Jameson Ginger, like are the two things that people even know about when it comes to whiskey. Like if you mention whiskey, that's what people think of, sadly, but that's what we got. And being that I I sort of cut my teeth on Jameson, that's where I stick to. But also tonight, I'm going to be sipping on a little bit of Yellow Spot Irish whiskey. And I just popped open a fresh bottle of the Red Breast 27, which is a huge personal favorite of mine. I'm super excited to try that. It is batch two. So previously, we had had batch one. We have a video up with Jason from the Mash and Drum that we could talk about a little bit later on. But we tasted that a few, it would have been two years back now or three or while. I don't remember. Whenever it was, it was a good time. But I'm ready to dive into batch two tonight and to just kind of talk about the new, like the change of season and have some fun with some Irish whiskey. It, it's crazy you mentioned that. Yeah. First off, two years goes quick, but I have in front of me, I have the Gold Spot, which is a new release. Uh, so, oh, nice. you know, kind of in the vein of the Yellow Spot, same, same bottler. I have the Red Breast 21 in front of me. And I have to say, it's a weird day. It's like a, a snowball's day in hell that like I have the Redbreast 21 in front of me and it's not the most like impressive whiskey <laughs> on the docket for the night. That 27 True. is no joke. Yes, I'm super pumped about the 27. A massive, massive hit on their part, if you ask me. I don't recall ever having an Irish whiskey that I liked even as much, let alone better. So getting to dive back into another bottle of this is super fun. It's hard to blame you for it. But before we get there... It it is weird. We talk about like the seasons feel like they're changing. Maybe it's because I just got like totally slapped in the face by daylight savings this past weekend. I woke up I woke up funny on Sunday morning and I was like, am I hungover or am I just really tired? Because I I totally forgot about daylight savings. Me too. And I woke up and I was like, why can I just not like lift my body out of bed? And then I was like, oh, it's because my body thinks it's like 4.30 in the morning mm-hmm. or five o'clock in the morning instead of six, which it is now. But I mean, with, with, with the changing of the seasons, the lighter, the brighter, I feel like uncorking some Irish whiskey also makes me feel like spring is on the way. I usually drink a lot more scotch in the winter, drink a lot more wine. It's kind of like, okay, summer, like patio beers are coming back, like spritzy cocktails and, and time by the pool. Do you guys, 
I'm trying to think. You guys have like snow on the way though, don't you? Like, this yeah, is kind of I mean, a faux, faux it, yeah. This, so this is like the weird time of year. So uh, Maine has what you would call like four seasons, but within each season is sort of like carved up into its own micro seasons, really, where we are shifting from winter now into what could be called like second winter. Like I'm sure everybody's seen the meme of the uh, the hobbits there from the Lord of the Rings. So like, what about <laughs> breakfast, second breakfast, all that. Like there's one similar to this about like winter, second winter, muzz season. And that's effectively what's going on here. So, you know, the other week we got over a foot of snow and then over the weekend it was like 46 degrees. And I was like, oh shit, I better fire up the grill because holy shit, it's like fucking summer out there. Like I'm out there right. in shorts and a t-shirt, grilling up burgers, having a great time. And then here we are today rolling into this week. We're going to get another foot of snow. And like school's already canceled for tomorrow and shit. Like it's like the real deal is coming back in. But then like you have a hard time taking it seriously because by the time you're done shoveling this bullshit, it's basically going to be 50 degrees. Like you'll be getting a tan out there as you're running the snowblower. So like, yeah, springtime is getting there in the Northeast. Like we're, we're not quite into it yet, but like this is the, uh, the first like leaf is starting to like consider budding on the tree before it turns into an actual leaf. And that sign alone is enough to be like, well, fuck, we should probably get a bottle of Jameson and everybody should come over and we should like just have a hell of a party <laughs> thinking it's springtime and then probably wake up to a, another two feet of snow. It's interesting because here in Wisconsin, we are out of like the biting cold of winter. And so I mean, we always get just a ridiculous amount of snow in March and sometimes April, and we've had it as late as Mother's Day. But for me, like, I don't mind that we're getting to the snowy season because it's finally warm enough to be snow. And that sounds weird, but we're coming out of those like weeks of just well below zero and it's like too cold to snow because like it becomes just like a powdery dust. And so it was kind of a kind of remarkable to get some snow that I had to shovel and hit with the snowblower. Granted, I wore shorts when I shoveled yesterday because it was it was like warm enough to not need to wear pants, but like the snow wasn't melting fast enough. And if it stuck around until night, it was going to freeze. And like, I don't need to eat shit in my driveway because I made it this far without it. But right. Yeah. Earn your whiskey. Got to do something. Yeah. I'm with you. You mentioned something earlier about daylight savings, which is funny because I did the same exact freaking thing where I usually on weekends get up at four. Like, so I set the coffee pot to turn on right at four o'clock and start making some of that delicious cocoa juice. And I looked at my phone and I was like, how the fuck is it 4.30? I didn't hear the coffee pot. I'm not currently drinking coffee. Like, there's something not right here. So I go over to the coffee pot to interrogate it. And as I look into Mr. Coffee Pot's eyes, he looks back at me with 3.30 on the display and I was like, huh, well, that's weird. And then I'm thinking, oh fuck, it was daylight savings. And then first, like, because of the uh, early hour and the like not totally functioning brain, I'm like, oh fuck, is it actually 2.30 and I am up way <laughs> too early? And then I was like, no, wait a minute, phone said 4.30, phone would have auto adjusted, coffee right. pot is wrong, phone is right, like, okay. I've I've totally got to the bottom of this already. Let me just turn this thing on manually and just stand here and stare at it until there's coffee for me to drink. So I, I was with you there on Sunday suffering, wondering what in the hell is going on and why like I couldn't get my life together. But eventually we made it and then, you know, grilled burgers and uh, had that nice sheen of sun in the 45, 46-ish degree weather reflecting off of all the snow to give you that nice glowing 
springtime, early springtime, second winter tan. I got to say, I, I wasn't thrilled with my choices as I woke up. And, and I don't mean like I drank an extra bottle of wine the night before. I had made the mistake my wife and I still kept our exercise class, our Orange Theory, for 7 a.m. 7 a.m.? 8 a.m.? I forget. But either way, like I was like, oh, man, I'm tired. Now we have to go do this workout. But that that actually saved me. It was like a hard reset for my body because okay. it was a super hard workout. And I like my soul left my body. It like circled the globe. It caught up on time. And by the end of the workout, I was like, all right, I'm just as tired either way. But I feel like I got something done. So when I go to bed with one less hour under my belt, like I'm not going to be like going stir crazy or antsy or anything. And I, I think that really helped me. But either way, that was a tough morning. Just waking up and being like, where am I? Like, why? Yeah. It, it feels early, but it's, it, and it does. And my dog was like, why are we up? Like, go back to bed. Um, it was tough. I hate daylight savings. Daylight savings is such a fucking ball ache. It's just, there's nothing about it, I think, that's that beneficial to me personally. So that means that it is useless and the universe should just squash it. Right. And any any event that gives me one less hour to like do things and drink whiskey just like kind of sucks on paper. So I feel like we should just do away with it. But yeah, I, I mean, mean, even if it gives us one more hour still, I don't like you fucking with my timetable. Right, I'm I'm like a creature of habit, and when you right. take away that hour or add an hour, like it totally just messes me up for for like a good week. It's almost a perfect episode title is "Fuck Daylight Savings." I don't <laughs> I think we could like, use that, but like, I feel like a number of people would have an opinion regarding that choice. But we'll come up with something just as good. Okay, that works for me. There's a reason <laughs> why you're in charge of titles. Yeah, it, I I guess I kind of just landed with that one, but it, it's as good a time as any. Uh, we're here now. We got the whiskey. Tell me about your St. Patrick's. Maybe what you've got poured first. I'm curious. Uh, what do you What do you got lined up? This is one of those rare years where, thank goodness, they put St. Patrick's on a Friday. Like, Holy fuck! The worst ones are like Tuesdays. Like you can't celebrate it the weekend before, so you just like gotta go hard on a Tuesday, which always hurts the rest of the week. But like it's on right. a Friday now. What are you doing? So I think we'll probably do like which is standard for us. Like we don't really do anything too wild, but uh, I will more than likely get into some delicious red breast 27 just because i just opened it so like i'll have that with uh i will be watching the departed of course but like that's not necessarily saint patrick's day thing for me just a lot of the quotes and memes kind of pop up more around this time of year which kind of gives me that like the itch kind of comes back and i have to scratch it by watching that uh killer (laughs) film absolutely love it seen it entirely too many times but still at the same time never enough so I'll be watching that. We'll probably go to uh, I don't know, my folks' place. Maybe we'll put together some... Uh, well, not maybe. We'll definitely be putting together some uh, corned beef, be having that for dinner. I, mean, I feel like... Is that a thing out Midwest way? Like I, I know you guys are big on the like beef for every holiday, but... Yeah, I mean, we will slaughter a cow for just about anything. But uh, yeah, we, we, we have a, a, a pretty good... Irish contingent, depending on which part of the Midwest you're in. Okay. I'm not a huge fan of corned beef. It's not like I don't like it, but I, it's just me and my wife and my dog. Like, I'm not going to go through all of the effort to make it. Like, we're probably honestly going to do a very Wisconsin thing, which is go get some fish fry. And then okay. I'm going to crack a bunch of Guinness because I, I really enjoy Guinness. And me too. I go back and forth between the departed and the Boondock Saints. And I oh, watched the Boondock yeah. Saints last year. So, this is a departed year for me. 
Yeah, geez, honestly, and I, I kind of hate myself for this, but I hadn't even considered watching Boondock Saints. Maybe I'll have to, as an act of contrition, watch both one and two and just really get it in. Uh, I'll definitely be having a little bit of Guinness here and there, too. Maybe I'll have one now. Oh, you see, this is shaping up already. So Saturday <laughs> morning, a little leftover corned beef, make a nice little hash with that, have a Guinness with it. That's like a really great way to start the day after St. Patty's. It, it seems like a good rebound. Um, yeah. As someone who's very German, I, I like the line from Boondot Saints about like on St. Patrick's Day, everyone's a little Irish because everyone's I'm definitely, Irish. I'm wearing like a fake mustache in the corner, like definitely Irish, like definitely just here for the drinks, guys. But yeah, I, I'm going to do a fish fry, probably out with my wife, watch a couple movies and then, and then cash it. I, I've got, I, I've been drinking the Gold Spot this year, which is I'm not always the biggest fan of the Spot whiskeys, but the Gold has just been absolutely killer. And it was hard enough to find that it's one of those bottles that I kind of am like, well, you know, I should have a good reason to like drink a couple of pours of this because it's going to go quick. And and this seems like the perfect occasion for that. Do a couple of Guinness with dinner, have a nice pour with a movie, uh, incessant gunfire in both films. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's always the makings of a good Friday, but not, not like the it. biggest corned beef guy. I got okay. Admit. Well, I mean, I guess coming from the Midwest, you probably put your brisket to different use than going ahead and soaking it in, you know, <laughs> nitrates and whatnot to preserve it <laughs> and give it that additional kick of flavor. It's funny you mention that because my wife and I were having, we'll call it a discussion, but it was her pointing out that I had smoked entirely too much meat. Uh, the summer before and she'd realized that by pulling out it was like three or four bags of brisket and like 14 bags of pulled pork and nice. i was like honey like what do you mean we need to cool it on buying meat like i didn't smoke that much pulled pork last year and she just like kept pulling out bags <laughs> to the point where i i like literally asked her like did i black out and like did smoke a whole pork where butt? did that all come from did i do like, that several times last year and the answer to that was no but uh, as a result like i just pulled out some random brisket and thought that was pretty midwest like it was literally uh, uh yesterday morning just like oh okay i guess we'll just have some we'll just fill in some gaps with brisket this week like brisket's gonna be the glue that holds this week together and yeah Ooh, I, no could think of, for me. I could think of far worse things all right so you have the fish fry you sort that for us i'll deal with the corned beef we'll make it through um, so I think this is kind of cool because we totally unintentionally designed this episode to feature two spot whiskeys and two red breasts, which I, if we had tried to do this would never have worked. So we've got <laughs> the yellow spot, which is like sort of the middle tier of the standard offering spot whiskeys, right? There's like the green, yellow, yep. and red. And then with, you know, within those is, I think there's a few different, maybe four or so different cask finish series within the green spots. Right. And like the availability on these is kind of, okay, to use a stupid pun, it's a little bit spotty because <laughs> you have a tough time finding all of the different finishes. Like if you are somebody who's into green spot and you try to like capture them all, you're probably going to have a hard time. If you're like oh, me, you live in the Northeast and you're like, oh man, I would love to get another bottle of red spot. Like can you go into the liquor store and ask where they're probably going to laugh at you. Because it just like is so hard to find around here. So I've been trying to not abuse this bottle of yellow spot that I've got, which is their 12 year. It's like a three different uh, maturation blend. It's like an ex bourbon, a sherry. Like there's a few things that I don't even honestly know all the details that well. 
I just know that like as far as the spot whiskeys go, I kind of find it to be like the reliable go-to. Like it's premium enough that like you should be able to find it between 90 and 100-ish bucks. Okay. It's tasty. It's a 12-year age stated. It is not quite everything that the whiskey enthusiast wants, but it's non-chill filter. Like it has a lot going for it. And I think it really kind of captures the Irish whiskey profile in a good way, like where it highlights a little bit of different cask finishing, but really just kind of like highlights that nice grain whiskey that can be like extremely delicate, very nuanced, and just kind of pops in a way that I dig. So I'm happy to warm up with this. Well, I mean, aside from the Jameson and the green room, but I'm really excited to kind of like work through this a little bit and then dive deep into a discussion about the gold spot and hear your thoughts on that. And then we can start playing Red Breast. It, it's fun that you... So first off, I, I'm a little bit ashamed of myself because I've been writing about whiskey for eight years now and never once did a spot pun come to mind when like a spot whiskey was on my desk. So kudos to you on that one. That was Happy uh, to help. That was, that was both great and terrible at the same time. But yeah, switching gears, I have the gold spot in front of me, which... I did enjoy the blue spot. I didn't think it climbed to as insane heights as a lot of of my peers, you know, kind of said it it was. But the gold spot, on the other hand, is just bonkers. And this thing is finished in bourbon barrels, sherry butts, Bordeaux wine casks, and port pipes. So there's quite a bit going on, to say the least. It's barrel proof. It's non-chill filtered. It's at least nine years old. It was expensive. I want to say I paid like $130. 120 like it was spicy but i like it it's not overaged it's not underaged it doesn't have a lot of irish whiskeys have this big grainy note that really turns me off it's like every 30 dollar irish whiskey i can point it and be like ah peaches pears cinnamon and a big grain note and it's gonna at 40 percent, it's gonna drink super hot yeah for no reason at all I'm and with that's kind of how a lot of them are but the spots do such a good job of managing the flavor same with red breast this pour though it got high marks on whiskey raiders it's really good. I love it. Like this is kind of an indulgent pour. And every time I pour it, I just love it. Yeah. I've been a little bit confused by the spot whiskeys pricing structure because I feel like they are trading age for proof. Right. Because otherwise there's not a ton of drastic change from one to the other that I know of. And I'm speaking from a position of like, I'm adjacent to knowing what I'm talking about in the Irish whiskey world. (laughs) I've dabbled with plenty of it, but I'm not like extremely well read on it all. It's, you know, it's nothing like American whiskey is for me, put it that way. But when I look at something like Yellow Spot that is 12 year age dated, non-chill filter, 92 proof, like these are effectively the things that I think most enthusiasts like. And it is a hundred ish bucks. Let's just call it a hundred bucks to make it easy. And to jump up to say a buck 30 from there, for the gold spot, which you're going to get a higher proof, but you're going to drop three years of age off it. And like granted, this is also finished. What I think you said four different ways. Like there's a lot going on with it as well, but it just, I don't know. It, it's a little confusing to me as the American whiskey guy, like trying to figure out where the premium lies. Is it proof? Is it finishing? Is it age? And that combination of things, I mean, it's equally confusing in other brands like beam, like, We've ranted about that 50 times. I don't need to dive into it, but I would kind of like to see like the structure of Redbreast is a little bit easier to figure out where it's like, okay, as the age goes up, you get a little bit more price each time. And the the spot whiskeys don't really follow that, do they? 
it is a unique yeah it, it's interesting to me because like the one that really threw the industry kind of on its head was that blue spot when it came out and it was super expensive and exclusive and people were like wait it's only seven years old this doesn't make a lot of sense to me and i right. felt like gold spot going up to nine years was kind of a like yeah we hear you here's a little more age but the pricing on these and i am curious because the gold spot is in a 700 milliliter bottle and i for the record have no problem with smaller bottles in exchange for having better selection and i do believe that like if a whiskey producer can just bottle everything in the same bottle, it makes it easy to send more to the U.S. So I'm happy for that. But all of those things come to mind when you're in the store and you're like, wait, the age went down, the price went up, the bottle's smaller. And you're like telling me you have two of these and you're giving me one because like I'm loyal or because I, I bought that other expensive thing. Like I never thought there'd be a world in which I used like a favor card or like, oh, hey, like you're a regular. Why, why don't you check out this thing I held back for you? on an Irish whiskey. Like that's just a feels weird. I'm here for it because it's super good, but there's definitely kind of a crisis of identity with some of these products and and you're certainly not alone. Yeah, I mean if you do the math per year, it gets really hairy. And then especially <laughs> when you start looking at something like Redbreast 27 where I mean this is with it I mean on the back of the first batch's success, I think they knew what they were onto. I feel like the first one, they may have been gambling just a tad or perhaps felt like they were because I believe the SRP on the first batch when it rolled out was 500 bucks and now it's 600 and you're seeing these float up even higher than that in non-control states and things like that. So it wouldn't be out of the question to see these. There was even like a Redbreast 34 too that rolled out some like in an ultra small release and I really wanted to get my paws on some of that to try but I haven't oh, even seen somebody like admit to owning one so I could be like, what do I need to bribe you with to get a few ounces of it? So anyway, the point of value in that category to me gets very murky, but I'm here to try as much of it as possible anyway. Yeah, and I agree. And it's interesting because I, you know, just a moment ago, I was like, oh, I never thought I would need to like ask for a favor to get an Irish whiskey. But at the same time, there's a very short list of bottles that I will absolutely throw down for if they ever show up locally or an auction. And one of those is a Redbreast Cask of Dreams, which is a full maturation sherry Redbreast at Castring because I, I need to know what that tastes like. So maybe maybe that's a way of saying that Irish whiskey takes up a little more of my brain than I think it does. And St. Patrick's every year kind of reminds me of like, there's a lot of great stuff on the shelf. Like, I love my spot whiskeys and, and the red breasts. And there's been so many new expressions in the last year alone that are honestly really good. So it makes sense that industry's booming and, and thank goodness we're we're seeing good whiskey as a result of it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It, it it's a good way to look at March in general, but like so I like to think of March as like Irish whiskey season. I think I threw a post on Instagram recently with this uh yellow oh, yeah, spot I saw that. that I was just like, you know what? Like it was one of those days where it was over 40 degrees. And, or maybe it had been earlier in the day and it wasn't at night, but like <laughs> it was over 40. And I'm like, oh, geez, it's like damn near summertime here. I really feel like I should be drinking something to celebrate the season. And just like for me near the end of the summer, I know that we mentioned this before as well. Like I get that sort of like change in air. The season is upon us. It's time to switch from the summertime drinks, put away the seagrass for like three or four minutes and grab a nice spicy <laughs> rye 
or like perhaps even dabble into like a wine finished whiskey or something where like when the air starts to drop below 50 degrees, like near the end of summer is when I'm like, oh, I need something spicy. This is going to be fun. The opposite happens here around March where it's like, shit, it's over 40 degrees. Like I should probably get some of that Irish whiskey going. And like some of these to me, like kind of stand out like the vanilla vibes from those ex bourbon barrels that kind of pop out in the yellow spot, stuff like that. Like I don't actually get a ton of sherry influence on it, but like it has like this nice fruitiness. So like you mentioned, there is like this like dash of pear or apple. Like I feel like it's very nuanced and it's very delicate but there's like these good vibes of honey. And sometimes it can be a a little grain forward for me, even with a higher age statement. Like this just, I think is kind of the category itself. And when you can work around that in a way that works for your palate, it can be really fun. And that's sort of where I'm at with this. And this is a long way of saying that, like, I'm just like super excited to get into that Redbreast 27. (laughs) It's like eyeballing me on the desk here. I, I think it's a great time for you to dig into it. And I'm curious, every Redbreast I've ever had has this really nostalgic smell to me. And it's a good way. It's not a bad thing. It's not a weird thing. And I'm curious if you get it too. But I grew up, you know, I'm I'm on the, I won't say I'm young, but I'm on the younger side. Like malls were a big deal when I was a kid, born, you know, in the early 90s. And every mall had that token candy shop where all of the candy was overpriced. Like you could get your little paws on a little scooper and you get oh, a bag. Yeah. It was get like $97 for yeah. four ounces. Get a but like, pound of candy. Yeah, you get your little paws on that on that scooper, and if you had been good, bad, terrible, otherwise, like you know, your parents let you get a little candy. Maybe you're going to a movie or something. But I would open up the peach ring. You know, there was also they were all in these acrylic boxes that no matter how you open it, it made the loudest sound in the goddamn world. And so you like deafen yourself, clack clack, open up, and just like that peach ring smell would just smack me in the face. And every red breast smells like that, which is. I mean, I love it. It's super good, but it reminds me of that exact smell. And even all the way up to that 27 year when you and I did batch one with Jason Mash and Drum two years ago, like it had that and I loved it. So I'm curious if it comes through to you or if I'm just weird and like stuck in the 90s at whatever the, I can't even remember what the candy store was called. It was like a chain. It was like the worst of everything. It was a chain bolt candy store you overpaid uh, for. It. I don't it know the name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not only is it, in every mall like it's at every fair it's at every like flea market type day like anytime there's a congregation of stores that are like all kind of amassing together there is a candy shop of some type Mm -hmm. you know whether it's a touristy town or something there's always that and you're right there is like somehow they have this like background vibe note that they all kind of smell like and you walk in and you can almost taste it and transferring a little bit further down the candy lane here. It is definitely a peach ring vibe in this thing. It is massive. It grabs right a hold of you. It's one of those things that you can't ignore. And so I've tasted this with a few different buddies of mine who are whiskey fans, but not necessarily like super whiskey nerds like us. And say like, what does this taste like to you? Or what do you think about this? And as they're going through it, like... More than once, I've heard like, man, there's something super familiar about this. And I can't tell what it is. It's like, I've had this before, though. Mm -hmm. And I will try to, like, without imparting too much bias, be like, okay, I I think you're right. There is something in here that's super familiar. Um, what, What do you think it is? Is it like savory? Is it sweet? Is it something? Is it something else? And if I can get them into the path of on their own thinking, it's kind of fruity. I'm like, you're right. It is kind of fruity. It's almost like 
peach rings. And every time it's just like, that's it. Like, I, I don't know what it is. And like, some of that has to be just imparting bias on it. But man, th- these jump right out of here. It is big. It is sweet. It is delicious. There's just so much in here. And this is my first try of batch two. And I wish I still had some batch one to compare it to directly. But I mean, right. that, sh- that ship is long sailed. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed that one when we had it. It was like very opulent and easy to drink for something as expensive as it is. Like some whiskeys, you're like, oh man, it it's hard to drink this, but it was so good. It was just like, I want to pour more and pour more and pour more and pour some more. So mm-hmm. um, I'm curious, like batch two, any different or same goodness? I feel like just off the top of my head, I feel like it's a tad sweeter, but again, right. that is without having a direct comparison here. I'm just going off of the impressions that I had over the times that we tasted it. I feel like it's a, a little bit sweeter, but there's still like a just a pile of tropical fruits. There's like a good caramel background to it too. It's rich. It's hearty. It holds on really nicely. And man, does that like nectarine, peach ring, background of fig, and this like, m- like mildly funky kind of tropical fruit just stick out. It's like... Again, like nothing I've ever had in the Irish, like in the entire Irish whiskey category. I love it. I mean, like I said, it feels weird. I'm slumming it here with the 21-year-old Redbreast, and that is a a favorite of mine. It's hard because once you get into some of these older expressions, either they stick really closely to some sort of pricing scheme, like $10 a year, 5 bucks a year or something, or they just go like Scotch does, where like a 40-year Glenfiddich isn't $400, $400, it's $1,400 or $4,000, $4,000. Right. Um, the Redbreast have always done a really good job. I feel like this is 21 years. I want to say I bought it a couple of years back at like 230 maybe 250 And it does a really good job. It maintains a really nice balanced profile. Like it's sweet. It's got those peach rings. It's got some nice oak, but it's not too oaky. Overall, it's just like very easy to drink. It's It's like layered and enticing and fun and like i always forget like trying this blind i probably wouldn't know it was 21 years old but like i don't really like oaky stuff so i love how much fruit and complexity there is for a a fairly okay-ish value like i won't say it's a good value it's not like a bargain whiskey it's not under it's not on anyone's like top 10 uh underpriced spirits or anything but for what it is 21 years it's it's really solid so good stuff so that makes me think a little bit here I mean, there's been a number of times where we have tasted something and been sort of split decision on this is perfect or this is slightly over-oaked or times where I've been like, man, this is like good and rich and you think it's way too oaky. (laughs) Have you ever had an Irish whiskey that you thought was overly oaky or too oaky for you? Because I can't imagine one that like, I don't think I've ever had one that I even think is like, Oh man, this is like kind of oaky. I like it. I have not. And I think a lot of that is the methodology of how Irish whiskey producers work and that they are using mostly used cooperage. Right. And the overwhelming, overwhelming, overwhelming majority is just ex-bourbon. And those I guarantee are seeing a couple of reuses. So I haven't had any. They were too oaky. There's some... My complaint usually is that like it's underproofed and still drinks too hot or it has yep. this weird musty grainy note. But a good, well-developed Irish, um, I have not found any that I'm 
running away from due to tannin. And that's kind of fun because it makes it easier for me to like really go out on a limb and try something different, new and strange because the, the oat concern really isn't there for me. Yeah. I, I was kind of expecting that to be the answer, but I was really curious too. like, maybe there's like this one crazy one that Jay's <laughs> like, Oh dude, well you got to watch out I'm for this shit. I'm chasing that dragon, man. I yeah, crazy. Okay. And, and that, you know, would instantly be the one that I'm like, well, I am going to be doing some ordering tonight after this episode because I know what I need to be getting my hands on. <laughs> I, I I have a suspicion that it could be that way with that cask of dreams, but that thing has, has evaded me gosh for years at this point. And so it feels weird to be in a spirit type. And I don't see the Oak and the scotch thing either. Like I have had some just honking age statements out of the scotch whiskey world. And my fears usually aren't Oak. It, it sometimes lingers in like, uh, more sulfurous kind of sherry types, like those bitter and sulfury sherry finishes that I don't always love. But for yep. Irish whiskey, like I, I don't know if I'm about to fly too close to the sun, but I haven't found that upper limit and I haven't found something too oaky. So maybe uh, you guys at home, if you if you have really cut your teeth on Irish whiskey and you know something super oaky, I would love to know in the comments because I haven't found it and I'm chasing that dragon for years now. Yeah, I mean, join us in Discord for sure to, to continue this because there's a lot of fairly substantial questions that we could dive into. And like we could spend days chatting about this on and off. But that also kind of reminds me here of uh, something that came up in our Discord forum earlier. We've got a dedicated forum to like listener questions, viewer mail type of things. And somebody in there had a question for us that sort of ties into what we're doing tonight, which is drinking a whiskey category that we don't normally spend a lot of time with. But uh, Jared asked this question here that I wanted to bring up and we could kind of just chew on a little bit as we kind of wrap up the episode and, you know, finish off a little bit of these delicious pours that we've got going on. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll attack the question in parts. I'll read the whole thing, but then I'll have you answer it in parts if that's all right with you. Yeah, hit it. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jared, for rocking the inbox. Let's see what he's got. All right. So Jared from Virginia asks, aside from whiskey, what is one or two sleeper spirit, varietals, or something, etc., that you guys enjoy and you're glad that it's not in the spotlight, whether it's a value comparison or versatility or whatnot? So what is it that we like that is not necessarily whiskey at all, but it's like sort of something that's, at least for the moment, flying under the radar? I think that's an interesting question, Mostly because there's two ways to attack it. And I always hate giving the consultant answer, which if you've never worked with a consultant before, the answer is always, it depends. Uh, I think the answer is, drinkers, there is no real answer. <laughs> the answer is, it depends. Please swipe your credit card once more, uh, sir and or madam. But I, I digress. So I think that there's two ways to attack this and that there's a lot of spirits that are under the radar for whiskey drinkers. And that is very different than spirits that are under the radar in general. So like very I know good way to put it. a lot of whiskey drinkers don't dabble in rum or brandy much. And then when they check it out, they go, Oh man, like there's some monster age statements for really good value and their cast strength and uh, non-dosed and, and stuff like that. When really those spirits are popping off in their own way, but in much smaller communities. So the whiskey community is huge. So I think when people in the whiskey community like find rum, it, it's more of like, oh my gosh. And be, and a lot of people start talking about it very quickly, even though rum has been popping off in its own right amongst those enthusiasts for years now. So it's hard for me to kind of answer that knowing that, but I would say gin for me is still the biggest sleeper spirit. It's a, like gin is hard 
to produce incredible gin, but it's easy to produce palatable gin. And it's at a price point that makes it darn near affordable for a huge spectrum of drinkers that would be immediately priced out of super premium rums or super premium whiskeys. And a lot of gin even tells people, like a lot of people tell me like, oh, I can't drink gin. I had that one bad time and I don't like juniper. And I'm like, gin has to have a little juniper, but not all gins are made to spotlight juniper. And that's a lot of the coverage over ginraiders.com. But like the, the world of gin is just so vast and it's so accessible. And like you can go to that craft distillery in that new state and try their gin. And it's probably, if you don't like their whiskey, it's going to be the best thing on the menu. So that's kind of my pick. It's not a brown spirit at all, but if you want something truly under the radar, it's a great value that honestly I enjoy the shit out of. It's gin all day long. And I'm I curious like that. about you. Um, I don't know if I have a... And, and, well, I don't have an answer better than gin because you're right. Like anytime, and this is like, I hate to damn the entire state of Maine all at once, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> anytime somebody asks me, hey, have you tried this main place, insert distillery name, have you tried their whiskey? I've tried most of them. I've hated all of them. <laughs> My answer I mean, is always don't drink local whiskey. Like I understand the local form movement and people want to support a local brand and that's great, but do it in other ways aside from making them think that they're making whiskey that's good by their gin. Because you're right, it's almost always something that, like, they have to put a little bit of thought into what they're going to do to make this thing taste not necessarily better than what you can buy at the store, but, like, unique and fun and good and sometimes even local. And, like, one of the things that always comes to mind for me is Freeland Spirits, which we had them on ages ago for an interview, and we tried a bunch of their stuff, and we both were, I think, very enamored with their gin. like. They were putting together good whiskey, but it was one of those things where of the stuff they sent us to try, I went back to that gin like five or six times in a row just to make sure that I liked it. And then I went back like six times more and I was like, yeah, I do like it. And then by the time I kept trying to go back to it, I was like, ah, geez, that gin really kind of uh, evaporated quickly for lack of a better term. And I right. think you really like stumbled on something like I would love to direct people to be like, you should check out Brandy or you should check out Rum or you should check out Agave Spirits like Mezcal and stuff. But it's like, do I really think those are sleepers? No. Like, are they under the radar? No. Like, they are like, popping the, off. Yeah, and... the cat's out of the bag on everything. Like, the whiskey world has blown up in an absolutely, like, exorbitant way. Like, it, it's just insane now. And so many people have, I think, probably come into the like maybe it's like they're chasing the hype or just chasing the reviews or something along those lines to where like when they can like they can't get their hands on that hot thing that they want they just look for something else like oh well what else is really cool like oh wow geez there is a lot of cool stuff in rum and like that kind of blows up or brandy or whatnot like so like the hype chasing can definitely extend everywhere all at once it's not just whiskey so yeah, something like gin where it doesn't need to be aged or like, you know, sometimes there's barrel finish or barrel aged gins that are like really cool. But like this is somewhat easy to produce. And I, and I say somewhat like with a, a grain of salt, but like I think that is a cool category to dive into. I'm right there with you. And, and I've got two quick sentiments before we move on to the other half. And that 
yeah, if if all you've had is whiskey, you should definitely go check out rum and brandy and agave. And I love all of those things for what they are. Totally. But they are no longer under the radar. They are popular. They have, I mean, tons of of great things about them. And one of them is like, yeah, you can get really old rum and brandy for a relatively great value compared to whiskey. Um, on the other side, I also want to say like, I also bring in barrels of rum and brandy through aficionados group and some of my other side projects and agave. So like it would be easy to me be like, Oh yeah, these are under the radar. Go check them out because uh, you know, it helps me out in my group and stuff. But like they have their day, those products sell well and they're cool and they're easy to source really amazing stuff because it's less under the radar. I say gin all day and maybe that's a plug for barrel aged gin because that's my wife's favorite spirit, which I, I guarantee is the most often ask what oftenly is that a word sure. that's the question i get most often it's not it. like what do i like best people are like oh your wife must love spirits too because she's married to you and and you live eat and, and breathe spirits and i'm like barrel aged gin is her jam and she loves it and that's a category so few people i meet have actually tried it's like get out there go try barrel aged gin and if you love it or hate it tell me in my inbox i'd love to know all right let me move on to the second half of this and i'm going to mix up a little bit the way that it was written so I could present it in a way that I think allows me to finish by asking the question. So without looking at the outline here or where I grabbed the comment from, just uh, sort of ingest this as I serve it up and give me what your thoughts are. So Jared goes on to say, looking from the outside in, it seems as though we, the U.S., are exacerbating everything as a whole, where most outside countries continue with the tradition of their particular spirit. He then asks, would both or either of you agree that a lot of the madness in the industry craze is driven and focused by or in the U.S.? Man, that's, I mean, first off, hats off to Jared. That's a great question. I think it's really easy to be in the US and be like, oh man, things are crazy here. It's really driving the train. But uh, I I think that there are certain trends that we're seeing being uh, refined here in the US and kind of set on fire. Like we're seeing uh, just about everything finished in Ambarana or Brazilian teakwood. You know, that is something I think the US is driving a train on. But I also think of things like Scotch whiskey and Irish whiskey that have been doing a lot of the same stuff for a frankly, a bajillion years. Like finishing right. whiskey in sherry casks is not any way new, which is something I think is funny when people are like, oh man, I hate America and like how all whiskeys have to be finished now. Like finished whiskeys just cover up flaws. And I'm like, Scotland would have some uh, some interesting words for you because they've been making whiskey like that for a bajillion years and they don't use it as a way to cover up flaws. Like it's part of how they make flavorful and interesting and thoughtfully made whiskeys. And like, I think if you went to Glendronic and said, like, what flaws are you covering up? They would just straight up throw you out. A, because that's the kind of people they are. But like, B, Glendronic is some of the best sherry finished scotch I've ever had. And those age statements go well before any craze reignited in bourbon, uh, which to me says, like, yeah, we probably feel it more in, on the home front. But I don't think I don't think the U.S. is driving the boat as much as we might suspect it is. Yeah, I think we definitely feel it here. But part of that is probably just our culture, too, where everything has to be borderline viral for it to matter, right? Like when something finally explodes, like bourbon has in the last five, six, seven, eight years, but really in the last like three years, it's been like borderline catastrophic. 
how everything has sort of come to the forefront and anything that is a limited release or extremely expensive is now looked at as like, oh, holy shit, this is the coolest thing going. And more expensive finishes are becoming the norm where things like Emberon and like the other stuff that you mentioned is all kind of like in the limelight currently. And then we look at that as like, oh, geez, this is like really hot right now because it's really expensive. And a lot of producers are putting this on the (laughs) shelf. This must be like the next best thing or maybe the current best thing. And so we think like, oh, we got to get involved with this. And then six months from now, when it's a new thing, because, you know, American markets are very trendy and they move very quickly. Right. It's easy to look at that and be like, ah, well, I'm so over like sherried whiskey. Like, it's just kind of like stupid. Like, like you said, like, uh, European whiskey makers have entered the chat and they've got something to say to you. Like, yeah, they've been doing this for a long damn, right. A long damn time. And it's been good the whole time. So maybe just take a step back and appreciate the wider perspective of the whiskey categories in general. Um, I, I don't know if I would think that the industry craze is driven by the U.S., but I think that the U.S. does a very good job of pouring gas on any fire. And I think, to continue with that same analogy, I think there are many fires, and producers here just will do whatever they can to pour some of that gas onto that next fire. Be like, okay, here it is. Like, this is the thing you need. Like, hey, this one's barrel proof. You need to have it. Like, who cares if it's five years old? Like, you got to have it. Or like, this one's 15 years old. Who cares if it's from a producer that we can't disclose? Like, you got to have it. You know what I mean? Like, we do a very good job of not only marketing, but making the marketing seem so legitimate that you have to buy it. And I think it's interesting too, because a lot of what we see in whiskey now, we've had the luxury when you look back and we've had the privilege and we have the insight to see so much of this stuff is is kind of, we saw it years ago in the craft beer, frankly, explosion. Some people call it a boom. Some people would call it an expansion. I call it an explosion. And what's interesting about the way the craft beer works is that you can take huge risks and you know very quickly whether they pay off or not. Like either that experiment is bad and you know a couple weeks later, like, oh, we made a bad beer, you get rid of it. Or you learn very quickly what you can do and can't do and what sells and what doesn't sell. And the whiskey industry doesn't have the ability to be that agile. But with younger whiskeys like we have in the US, you do have a little more rope. It's kind of in between the explosive agility of craft beer and like Scottish whiskey, where a lot of the stuff, like you're going to put it down for at least 12 years, but probably 15, 18, 20, 25, 30, 35, maybe even more than that. And so I think the timelines of these spirits all kind of work in their favor and honor. Like, if you are a non-distilling producer and you have the pockets for it, you can almost operate on a craft beer model. Like you buy RDH whiskey, you finish it for a couple of weeks, months, like in under a year, you could have a brand new product and you know whether it sells or it doesn't. So I think the environment in the US is more friendly to taking these interesting risks, which is why it seems like some people are throwing everything at the wall. But it's because frankly, they have the ability, whether it's the resources or the privilege or the customer base to do it. And I think that's cool. Like you learn really quick what works and doesn't. And we see a lot of producers move through trends quickly and find uh, frankly awesome stuff or terrible ideas. And like Terrapier went away with their like hyper age bullshit. So that's, that's a win in my book. And we right. learned pretty quickly that like that's not sustainable. So I think it's all a matter of perspective. But overall, the, the United States market and bourbon just moved quicker 
than Scotch whiskey and Irish whiskey. And I'm thankful for the differences of each. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I'm definitely thankful that they are different. And I mean, like, obviously there's not a ton of space for everybody to do the same thing. So it's cool to have a wide, like, I mean, borderline disparity really between one and the other, but it's just good to have a lot of these different categories doing their own thing. And that we get to, in these, you know, golden days of whiskey, get to try it all. Like, I still maintain that, like, this is the good old days of whiskey right now. Like, there is more stuff on the shelf now than there has ever been. And this isn't going to always be this way. Like, this will shift. It will change. But for now, like, I'm ready to enjoy it. There are so many different things. Producers are giving us new products multiple times a year. Not always going to be great, but it's good to be able to have the opportunity to try them all. And I'm excited about it. I think that probably wraps up everything that I've got to say for this awesome St. Patty's episode. I'm glad that we were able to hit a little bit of listener questions too. That was fun. If you guys want to jump into our Discord and share some of your thoughts, questions, and whatnot with us, you could do that easily by catching us either on whiskeywriters.com or thebourbonfinder.com. We've got links to the Discord through there, so you should be able to find us pretty easily. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and my final closing note is that uh, my favorite complaint is when people come up to me and are like, man, there are just so many brands on the shelf now. Like The industry is saturated. Like, like, oh man, this is going to be doom and gloom. And I'm like, this is what we've been waiting for. There's like, just too are... much damn whiskey. Right. Like, oh no, there's new things to try. I love it. So this is the golden age of whiskey. Uh, not only for the fact that there's more whiskey than there's ever been, but St. Patty's is this weekend. So if you guys are drinking something awesome, please let us know. If you drink something you think is awesome and turns out to be terrible, like I have a proper 12 apple flavor here that I'm not <laughs> particularly looking forward to, but I will, uh, I'll, I'll put my palate on the line for that one but we'd love to know what you guys are drinking this St. Patrick's and as always you can find us at thebourbonfinder.com and at whiskeyreaders.com I am Jay better known as Take joined here by John as always and we will see you next week hopefully not hungover we will uh, enjoy responsibly please and we will uh, be quoting the departed up down center and left so have a good one guys cheers and we'll see you in the next episode cheers <laughs>